Hi, I'm Ellie Main, an artist and podcast host from London in the UK, and this is Recovery Mode, a podcast about the 12 steps. Each week, I sit down with my friend Emily Sledge, a recovery teacher and sponsor, and we talk about the steps, we tell recovery stories, and we interview some incredible people about their experiences in recovery and beyond. This is a podcast for everyone, because so is recovery. Episode three of Recovery Mode, Emily and I are back at it. Uh, hopefully you got a chance to listen to our episode about step one. Emily guided us through that last week and it was pretty amazing. It's definitely had a very impactful couple of weeks for me after the, after going back through step one. Mm. Always fun. <laughs> right. We have something really exciting today. We're going to talk to a really good friend of ours who was teaching the same recovery group that I went through with Emily as a teacher as well. Kimmy Short, hi, welcome. Oh, hello, nice to be here. It's so exciting to have you here. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. I know that you've got a really powerful story and I can't wait for you to share it. I'm here for it. <laughs> well, let's kick off there then. It would be awesome if you're, as much as you're comfortable with sharing your story, what made you realize there was a problem with the way that you were handling life and how how did you get involved with the steps? Yeah, um, great question. I, I am very excited to be here with you guys and kind of share. Um, I always like to tell people if I could heal from it, I have healed from it. And so I have lots of lots of things that drew me to the 12 steps and wanting to be here. But ultimately, I am a person on long-term recovery. And for me, what that means is that my sobriety date is March 3rd, 2014. So I just celebrated seven years of sobriety. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mm-hmm. celebrated in celebrated in the ocean. So it was really lovely. But for me, what that really means is I truly believe that when you heal, you can heal the whole family unit and you can also heal mm. a community and what God has done in and through me in my healing journey from choosing to surrender over and over and over. And let's add one more over again. <laughs> um, yeah. Step one, admitting that we're powerless is, is not just to check the box and you're done. And so there's definitely a lot of surrendering. <laughs> And a lot of self-awareness because we like to think we're in control. We got it covered. Yeah. Oh, no, we don't. So uh, I was born and raised right here in Austin, Texas. I was born into a alcoholic family. My dad's an alcoholic. My mom is not. My mom's one of those amazing humans going to have a sip of margarita and she's good. And I'm like, I'm not like that. <laughs> Once I have a sip of margarita, like the engine is ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> So I have uh, two sisters and a brother. My older sister is a couple decades sober as well. My brother is a couple decades sober. So mm. not only did my my mom get blessed with the alcoholic husband, all of her kids were alcoholics. So, <laughs> wow. But it was just kind of one of those things. I, I didn't know what I didn't know when I was a kid. There was just uh, a lot of things that come with the disease of alcoholism. A lot of uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, infidelity in their marriage, a lot of codependency that kind of happened between me and my mom as a result of her friends stepping in and telling her she needs to leave her husband and then me kind of becoming the confidant. So as a, as a young girl, I became the good girl. I learned Mm. if I do this, I get attention, I get affirmations. And so I really learned to just to strive and perform 
And as you guys may know, <laughs> that only lasts for so long. Uh, yes. That can become yeah. a disease of more, where you need more affirmations, more affirmations. And so by the time mm-hmm. I got to be 15, I was done being the good girl. And what I like to call rebel Kimmy came out. And <laughs> she just uh, said, F it to everything. I started high school, met this one girl. She was in all my classes. She introduced me to a bunch of other friends and Um, I got really good at partying all the way through high school. I was the girl who could shoot whiskey like the boys and I barely graduated from high school. So I just, I was partying all the time and drinking. It got real bad. I ended up Mm. actually leaving Austin because some of the people that I was running around with had gotten real bad. There were some drugs being sold, a lot of fights, a lot of violence. And I I knew that I needed to get up out of here and leave. And so I moved to Dallas. And when I was in Dallas, I um, had the opportunity to live with my dad, who was sober at the time. My dad got sober when I was 10. And so I just saw this peace about him that he had, and I really wanted it. And I found this amazing church up in Dallas and I got baptized at 22 and I was serving with the kids and I was in it with the Lord and I was just, it was all good. On fire, I'm on fire for the Lord. Everything's going great. Oh, is it? (laughs) What could go wrong? Well, what could go wrong was all the masks that I was, you know, in this time that I'm like, you know, showing up to church and doing all these things to look like the good Christian again. I had a horrible Mm. eating disorder behind closed doors. I was bulimic at the time, uh, binging and purging seven, eight times a day, spending $60 at Taco Bell, which is quite a, an accomplishment. That's a lot of food. Again, the disease of more, you need more, yeah. you need more, you need more to fill mm-hmm. the addiction. And so I remember it was one Sunday and the pastor came out on, uh, on the stage and kind of the, if you've ever been to church, kind of the, the baptism gear where, you know, you know, that he's about to go get in some water and he has on like the robe. <laughs> like the swim trunks and like the, uh-huh. the, the, you know, the church logo shirt on and oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I just kind of had this, you know, internal battle with what I, I call the Holy spirit, which he said, you're getting baptized today. And I was like, I'm not getting baptized today. I got my hair done. Like my makeup's on. This is like back in the day, pantyhose <laughs> sort of thing. I was like, I'm wearing pantyhose. Like I'm not taking all this off. The Do you know how much time this took? <laughs> <laughs> this is literally the conversation. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to go get in the water. I straightened this hair. (laughs) So real. So next thing I know, I'm in line to get baptized and uh, I I get baptized and I come out and I feel like I kind of got a a dose of how much God loved me. I don't think he really could have given me. I don't think we even realize it this side of heaven, but I just cried all the way home. And about a month later, I realized uh, I miss my friends. I miss Austin. I'm going to move back to Austin. And so I moved away from my church community that I had built up in Dallas and came back to Austin and didn't have a job. And I'm 22. I said, what should I do? Getting a job on Sixth Street as a bartender. That's definitely what I should do. So I made some that's, <laughs> that's the move right there. That's it. <laughs> Heading to Sixth Street. <laughs> this is where I need to be. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I ended up uh, on 6th Street for uh, almost a decade of my life. I started as a bartender at a club, worked my way up to the general manager within a couple months. And then I was just getting paid to party. I was getting paid um, over a thousand dollars a week cash, making bonuses if the club hit a certain amount of money. Booze was free, uh, everything. It was just, and all, all my friends were down there. So it just got really messy for a really long time. Just where, like temptation on tap. 
Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. All the things, yeah. like all, everything, all of it. I'm like, I got money. I got power. I got alcohol. <laughs> I got a pack of I'm young. I got friends. I got friends. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I look at it back now. It's all, it was all counterfeit mm-hmm. versions of what I was searching for. And it's all still the disease of more. I need more money. I need more friends. I need more alcohol. I need more whiskey mm-hmm. to get me where I was at. And so Kind of eventually that's uh, where my my downfall for, for drinking came in was I ended up losing my job due to my drinking. I ended up losing my apartment <laughs> due to my drinking because I lost my job. And wow. uh, my sister-in-law at the time was like, you can come stay with me. And I said, okay. And so here I am, 30 years old, sleeping on my nephew's, I'm in his room. He's two years old. So I have like this <laughs> little bitty, I don't even want to call it a twin bed because it wasn't a twin bed. It was like- <laughs> It's a little baby bed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm one of those uh, laying there with monkey, a monkey comforter uh-huh. and uh, clouds painted on the ceiling going like, how did I get here? Okay. So then yeah. you said you, you moved back to Austin when you were 22 yeah. and then this happened when you were 30. Yeah. So it was eight years of like partying hard yeah. and having a great time. Oh, yeah. Okay. I always tell people who get sober in their twenties, God bless you. Like I, you are, <laughs> you are a miracle because I partied like a rock star all the way through my twenties. I wish I could have my twenties <laughs> back. Like, congratulations, you didn't waste so much time. Like stay, stay the course. Don't go that way. It's not yeah. good. It's not good. <laughs> there be dragons. <laughs> there are lots of dragons. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So was it wham moment of I've got to do something about this? This is where everything changes, or was it a gradual something's wrong? I'm I'm gonna fix this, but like not yet. Yeah, I'd love to say like I woke up in my nephew's room and like this was when I knew my life was crap, but it went on for a couple <laughs> more years. <laughs> I just I ended up getting kicked out of that house because of my drinking, coming home drunk too many times around their kids and kind of ended up in this uh, space down the street from my mom's house where my drinking got real bad because I was living by myself and nobody knew how bad it was getting. And so I'd go out and party with my friends. But if I started getting too sloppy, I'd come home to my case of beer and barefoot wine in the in the fridge. Don't judge me, but you know, <laughs> being an alcoholic's not cheap. <laughs> I've been a student. I've drank some awful things. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Living in that house is where it really kind of got me because I was I was living by myself in isolation and the voices in my head were getting really cruel. And mm-hmm. I tried to remember I woke up one morning and it was really common for me to wake up with like beer bottles in my bed or beer bottles like knocked over on my nightstand or walking downstairs and being like, what did I do last night? Not remembering like in the remnants yeah. of your experience. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde. I'm like, who was here last night? <laughs> who is she? <laughs> who is she? She's really messy. What was the beans on the cabinet? <laughs> like this slob. Like, what is she doing in my house? I'm a foreman of bulls. She's oh, eating a can. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there was at this point where I, I had evidently sat down and journaled while I was drunk. And I, I, you know, the next day I wake up and I'm reading it and I just realized like, I'm really angry. I'm really angry. I'm hurting. I'm sad. There's just a lot from what I can kind of make out through this like gibberish of what I journaled. And I tried to remember when the last time I was happy and it was when I was in Dallas. And that's kind of what sent me on a, I knew that I needed to find a church family again. So I kind of started jumping around Austin, trying to find a church. And I kept showing up for these churches and either the scripture was way over my head and I had no idea what they're talking about. So I felt really out of place or I'd go in there, I'd go to a different church. And sometimes I felt like the pastor was like talking down to me. So it was very shaming. And at this point in my life, I was really good at being mean to myself. I 
didn't need you to add any extra. <laughs> I don't need your help, buddy. I don't need your help. <laughs> the voice is up here. They got you covered. I don't <laughs> keep mm-hmm. saying you got this. Yep, I got it. <laughs> yeah. So my mom's best friend since I was in kindergarten actually said, hey, Colin is playing in the band down at Gateway. Tell Kimmy to go check it out. I think she'll like it. And I walked into this dark auditorium and I sat down and I just sobbed all the way through the first service. And I knew like I had found my church home. And so I kept coming back every Sunday. It was the only spot in the whole week where I found some release from like the voices in my head and the drinking. And Mm -hmm. so again, I'd like to say, then the next weekend (laughs) I quit drinking, but I started volunteering with the kids and I kept drinking and I showed up hungover with those kids. And I showed up sometimes drunk from the night before to volunteer with those kids. If I just like cool it a little bit, then I'm doing good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I think it's just the the dance of the mask, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to be this person on Sunday and I'm doing good and look at me, I'm a good human. And then I can't make it to the week without having a drink. You know, mainly when I think about the reasons why I drink was because I had so much untreated trauma from my childhood, Mm. from some of the stuff I put myself through, through sexual abuse, Mm. like, so I had no tools. I had no 12 steps. I had no, this is the way to go. So my answer was to drown it in whiskey, Mm. but eventually it stopped. And no matter what you're trying to drown and self-medicate with, eventually it'll stop working. It just, and um, you have to turn around and face your pain. And those three years that I was coming to Gateway, wasn't sober. I don't even know if I was really trying to get sober. You know, I just, um, I think I'd get a little bit of relief and that was good enough, but I definitely wasn't free. And when I fell, I had this amazing support team to fall into who had been watching me. Here's the thing. If you're out there and you're an alcoholic, let me tell you something. (laughs) You cannot as secretive as you think you are. <laughs> so your um, hiding places are not so hiding. <laughs> they, mm. People can see through you. Uh, they could see me at least. And I think that's the, the big thing that kept me coming back uh, to Gateway, honestly, is to come as you are. They really mean it. Yeah. I mean, that really yeah. was showing up as I was and they kept loving me. And so they actually did a recovery series and this lady who leads our recovery down at South Campus got up on stage and kind of basically said, hey, all the stuff that you're running from, like, it's not going to go away. You're going to turn around and face it. And at that time I felt like God had just like, <laughs> like it was one of those moments where you're like, is it, is it just me in here? Y'all can all leave. He's talking to me. It's fine. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you guys later. This is for me. I love it. Okay. So two things come up for me. One, a question and one, a statement. So the statement, I love that you didn't wait to get things together before you sought out God and you sought out a community. You know, I just feel like, you know, so much of the time it's like, oh, the the walls will burn down if I try to step into a church building. How many times have we heard that? Oh, yeah. All you knew is that you needed it. And and what you experienced as what you're alluding to and what you're, I think really about to get into is, is like you experienced complete acceptance exactly where you were Absolutely. without having gotten it together. Absolutely. And that's because that church, or at least many people, because every church is broken, but for the most part, that church got the gospel yeah. that we don't get pretty for God. Mm-hmm. God meets us where we yeah, are. Absolutely. So there's that piece. And then the other one, I question for you, if you don't mind sharing, were you still struggling with the binging and the purging at this point? No, actually, that's kind of a cool thing. Whenever I got baptized, that was the last time that I binged and purged because one of the, wow. the, what the message was about 
uh, the day that we got baptized was that your body is a temple and Mm -hmm. really talking about that God dwells. So I felt very convicted in a good way, not, you know, not a shaming way. And then that was kind of the call to get baptized. And then when I came back up, I made a commitment to myself that whatever you put into your mouth has to go all the way through your body. So whether that means Mm. like, even now, seven years later, I still like, sometimes I'll tap the table because that's my thing. Letting me know, like, Hey, you're full, like get up, I'll take my food immediately and put it away. So there's like different tools that I've done to make sure that I don't, Mm. that food doesn't become a thing, but yeah, it was, I was one of those things that was kind of instantly removed in a baptism. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. This is very cool. Yeah. they start a recovery series and you feel like you're the only person in the room. Uh, What happens next? So they have a prayer team that stands up at the front and there's a guy named Joe for about a year. I had kind of decided that I'm, I was going to try to like self-will myself into like not drinking. So for a year I went without drinking. I just had a little calendar and like day by day, it like exited off and Mm -hmm. I made it through the year. But then as soon as the year was up, it was like, I never quit drinking. But that whole year, Joe was like, did you quit drinking? Did you start AA yet? And I would get so mad at him and so mad at him. I'd storm off. I was like, dude, who does he think he is? Tell me I need to go to AA. So Joe's on the prayer team that day. I walk up to the front and I said, hey, Joe, I need I need some some help. I need some I need you to pray for some courage because I need to start AA tomorrow. And um, mm-hmm. the next day I'd already been kind of searching for AA meetings, but I found one that was literally three minutes away from my house. Cause I knew if it was any more than that, I was going to turn around or I was going to pull into a bar. I needed something that was like, it's right here. You can't not go. I cannot not go. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a little church that was down the street from my house and you pull in and there's all the AA signs, AA this way, Alcoholics Anonymous this way. And you're just like, your anxiety is just like, look at me. Probably the heaviest door still to this day that I've ever had to push open. And uh, I remember walking in, it was a real small AA room. There's probably about five people sitting around. They were really comfortable with each other. And as soon as I walked in, they kind of like shuffled to kind of get together. Like, oh, there's a new person here. We got to (laughs) like, I don't remember much about that meeting, except for going around the table and introducing myself. And for the first time saying, my name's Kimmy and I'm an alcoholic. And then I couldn't stop crying after I said it out loud and like really admitted it. And then I remember the laughter. Uh, It was just the whole meeting for an hour. There was so much laughter and so much just like grace for Mm. who we are and the way we're wired and things that we do in our addiction. And I remember when I went to leave, I was sitting in the car and I just was like squeezing my cheeks because I hadn't remembered the last time I had laughed like that, like that I'd actually been happy Mm. and that I'd actually like my belly hurt. And it's funny because it's as Emily (laughs) knows, it's a huge value of of hers and mine is like to bring that laughter into recovery to where you can kind of laugh at yourself. I can testify that that is true. (laughs) Dude, it's too heavy otherwise. It's like, okay, let's like 
eaten things up before I drown. Yeah. And that must so. have felt like after all of that experience, just like this piece of sweet corn of hope. It was. A tiny little gift of maybe there is something else yeah. that I can do here. Yeah. There was some solution. I'd love to say like, even then, like this was it. And I stopped drinking and that's my sober date. But honestly, I would go to that meeting on Monday nights and I wouldn't, I'd make it through the week, but then I wouldn't make it through the weekend. And then on Monday night, I'd show back up and I'd confess that I drank that weekend and this went on for a couple of weeks. And then one of the guys, one of the guys in there was like, why don't you go to 90 meetings in 90 days? And I kind of looked at him like a lost puppy dog. Like what, what is 90 meetings in 90 days? Like, what do you mean? There's other meetings besides this one? Like, I had no idea about the recovery community in Austin. I had no idea. There's pretty much a meeting every hour on the hour in every location across, Somewhere, the, yeah. across the city. I found a meeting that was down the street uh, that met at 10 o'clock and I started going there and, and showing up and 90 meetings in 90 days and meeting some community and it stuck where it was like, okay, I'm doing this thing. Like, this is it. What has your process of recovery been like? What was it like through that very first initial period and how has it developed since then? I think initially the thing is like, just don't drink. Like, I think your first year is like, just don't drink. Whatever you do, just don't drink. <laughs> Right. It's a lot when in the beginning because you're starting to feel all your feelings and you've been numbing. I mean, I had been numbing out from these feelings since I was 15. And prior to that, with just some people pleasing and out of girls, you know, and so I don't know if yeah. I ever actually met myself. And so I think I was meeting myself for the first time at 30 and waking up going like, I have no idea who the hell I am. Like, I know my name's Kimmy and I don't even know how I started getting called Kimmy because my real name's Kimmy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> came from <laughs> for me i needed to find a sponsor uh, that was you know listening and paying attention and coming to meetings and and that was what they recommended so you get a sponsor and so i knew myself even seven years later i still find a sponsor who's a little bit of a hard ass i just need someone who's not going to take my bullshit and i'm really good at selling it because uh especially seven years later i know this realm i teach this realm i'm in this realm and so <laughs> it's real funny i get a new sponsor and she's like so i have permission you gave me the bullshit card right and i was like yes ma'am oh no <laughs> her voice became my voice I think that was really my first year of recovery was really having to get rid of all these voices in my head that tell me that you're not enough um, you're not good enough you're this you're that you're all these names you're um, never going to be anything you're stupid um, I had to just keep doing esteemable things over and over mm. and over again. I think that was a, a big thing having the AA community because, you know, I said, I don't know who I am. Like my brother loves to fish and my sister loves horses. And my mom loves to garden. Like, what do I like to do? And I remembered when I was a kid, I just loved taking pictures. And so that was the first thing I did was like, I'm going to go sign up for a photography class in college. And then it was just cool to see God put all these professors on my path who just really affirmed, like, you're an artist, you know, you're an artist, like you're an artist. And I'm like, I'm an artist. I didn't know that I was an artist. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, cool. Really cool. And then I got asked to put my work in a, in a show and I won first place and won $250. And so mm. like, these are those esteemable things that was like, oh, okay, this is who God has called me to be. And even in that season, these art classes, you would 
you know, create this art. And for me, I, I didn't have a voice. I, it's taken me a long time to like sharpen my voice and learn my voice and for it to not come out fiery. And, um, but I had no voice, but I could create, I could tell you through a picture, how I was feeling and what I was going through and what my spiritual life was, was, was happening in it. And, in that we would take these pictures or art or whatever we'd create it and we'd have to hang them up and you'd have these critiques where you hang up your your art for all the class to see and then they critique you and and so every time god be like all right tell those people what what's what's going on i'm like i don't want to tell these people that i'm an alcoholic and i'm really like this is what i'm going through right now but um, when I look back last season, he was just teaching me to share my testimony over and over and over again of like, and saying it out loud. And I have no idea where it landed. So I was, you know, sharing my story to a bunch of college kids who might've been struggling with alcohol too. And this is just like really beautiful season of kind of creating spaces to meet with my creator um, and yeah. to, get to learn his voice and to start learning what his will is for my life and doing a lot of praying on my knees. <laughs> <laughs> spending a lot of time in prayer that's awesome dude so last week on the podcast emily took me through step one again and i'd love to hear kimmy what was your experience with step one like in particular how how did you find that did you wrestle with that I think for me, I was done. My last drunk was so gnarly. I remember just listening to the song over and over on repeat and the prayer and the song was to take me where my trust is without borders. And I listened to that Mm -hmm. song probably like at least 50 times and woke up with like black mascara all the way down my face. (laughs) I was so done. Like I would have done anything. I was in pain. I was, I was having suicidal ideation. And so I think for me, like to admit that I was powerless was not challenging. Mm. (laughs) I say that, but then it took me like 15 years to get. So So yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of goes back to all those times. I'm like, I wish uh, I would love to tell you that that's, you know, that's when I got sober was, this was my right bottom. But I'm like, but wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not done yet. But so seven years sober now? Yeah. Who's Kimmy now? Where are you at with recovery? And I mean, this is my life. I love recovery. Not only, I I think like it's, that's such a a loaded question. I think that everybody needs recovery. Honestly, I just think that we all are struggling with something. Um, Don't let my, (laughs) uh, I think that just to kind of get rid of the stigma of, oh, it's just for addicts and alcoholics um, because I have been in recovery for seven years and I have healed from anger issues, codependency, people-pleasing, sexual abuse. I could keep the list going on and on. Honestly, to me, it is such a beautiful thing because it's almost like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger of actually like what God's like these little things of obedience that I did in that first year. One of the big things was creating spaces to just be with him. And so mm-hmm. I would just have to have this little bitty garden or I'd go on my runs and seven years later, my home is a place where it's a healing home where people come and I walk walk people through the 12 steps. And that's very intentional for me. It's a place where I've done some recovery work where, you know, my sponsor would say, come meet me at a coffee shop and I'm sobbing and there's people sitting next to me and I'm crying or cussing or, and, um, I wanted to create a space where like people can come into my living room and they can cuss loud. They can cry. They can wail. They can grieve. Like, nobody can hear you. We can be people here. 
we can be people here. So I think if you told me seven years ago, this is where I would be, I would laugh in your face because I had such different plans for my life. 100% mm-hmm. had so such a different path of where I thought I would be. Um, I can tell you right now, but just through obedience and through willingness and through humility, my life is way better than I could have not that it doesn't have its struggles. Like, let's get real. We're living in a pandemic. This shit is hard. Excuse me. Right. I can't cuss on your podcast. You can. <laughs> you're, you're fine. Right. We can be people here. Too. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. It's probably one of the the years that I'm most grateful for my tools of, of recovery because mm. mental health, I think, is really going to be affected for a long time. And I think mm. even the gift of you guys starting this podcast is going to reach people that need healing. Um, there's just mm. a lot that's going on in the world. And I think that people need a safe place to come and be messy and take the masks off and say, this is who I am. And it takes time to take that mask off because it's really comfortable. Oh, yeah. What are a couple of those tools that you've been talking about of getting through mm. really tough moments? My number one tool that has worked for me since the very beginning is art. Mm. I have a little box, like a little kid box of crayons and markers and like every medium paint um, in my house. I have sketchbooks like stacked up right here next to me. <laughs> one of my tools actually when I'm out in the community, because I have really bad anxiety, especially social anxiety is I have a backpack that has like all my art supplies in it. So if I ever feel overwhelmed or anxious, it's my go-to and it will bring me down almost immediately. Mm. Another really big tool for me in this season has been going against culture that says we got to go, go, go 90 miles an hour. If we don't feel good, if we're tired, if we need to rest, like, nope, you pull your bootstraps up and keep going. I say veto that. Yes. <laughs> and mm. no. Um, Preach. Yeah. We just run ourselves into the ground. We're no good to ourselves. We're no good to our community. We're no good to God. Um, he loves us no matter what, but I'll tell you, I, I learned the hard way by by not resting, I ended up getting shingles and was like forced Ooh. to bed rest. So last week I was dealing with some depression and I took two days off. I said, I got, I got to call out and I had PTO and I think we need to like not be scared to use our PTO. That's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself if you need to feel those feelings, you need to be sad. And I was going through some stuff and I needed to feel those feelings. I needed to grieve. And so I think honoring, even if it's uncomfortable, like really sitting in it. And then another one for me, like the, the third one, I would say 100% is exercise. Um, I just, mm-hmm. I am nuttier than a squirrel. If I don't go work out <laughs> at least a couple of days a week, I just, you're not really fun to be around. My brain just starts uh, telling me all these stories. And so I gotta, I have to go physically release that energy, whether it's going and running, which is something that I've done since I got sober, I couldn't get the voices to shut up and I would just go run until they shut up from exhaustion. <laughs> and so yeah. running yoga, whatever it is, that is your thing. I kind of got to get it out. So my question is for those who are scared of what is on the other side of letting go of my coping mechanism, Mm. whether it is drinking or binging, purging or uh, codependency, porn, you know, just the the list goes on and on. Busyness, right? We could totally be addicted addicted to busyness. Guilty. (laughs) Yeah. What would you say to those people who are just like, I'm terrified of sitting with my feelings and not having that way of escaping and or numbing out? Yeah. I say 
to start small. Mm. I think immediately what we try to do when we want to go sit with ourselves or sit with those feelings or try to, you know, give up something. We, I'm going to sit here and meditate for one hour. It's like, <laughs> okay, you can't even do it for like, let's, let's go a little bit smaller. Like um, 10 seconds and you're like, I'm useless. And then your brain starts to tell you all this crazy stuff because you haven't sat with mm. yourself in a long time and it's, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a very wiggly child as God would call me. Like I need to, like when I get ready to sit still, like I'm the wiggly child who needs to get up and get some water and then you go to the bathroom and then I need to do this and I need to send this email. Um, and so I think the best advice I could give you is to start small, set a timer for like seven minutes. I also, I highly recommend, um, sandwiching something that's really pain might be painful for you in between something that you really love for me, it might be sitting and doing art for a few minutes. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here and be still for seven minutes. And then, you know, Hey, I might be aware that that might activate me. There might be some stuff that comes up. So I'm going to have a friend on call who knows like when the seven minutes is up, I'm going to reach out to Ellie. I'm going to reach out to Emily. I'm going to reach out to, you know, whoever your person may be and uh, allow that person. And your person also needs to be somebody who allows you to process who doesn't make it where it's about them, where it's, they're, they're holding space for you. Awesome. So good. Kimmy, thanks. Thanks, Thank you so much for being here with us today. It's just such a joy to get to speak to you. And gosh, how long have you been teaching recovery for? Uh, This is our fifth year uh, doing it. So we have over 60 women who have gone through the recovery 12 step program um, and not for addiction and alcohol. That's actually like very small on the Mm. the list of things that they go through Mm -hmm. for. If you want to reach out to Kimmy, you can head to Broken Lives Restored on Instagram, where she can answer you there. Any questions or anything you might have about her story or about anything that she spoke about today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. Recovery Mode was created by Ellie Main and Emily Sledge. You can contact us by emailing hello at recoverypodcast.com. Recovery Mode is produced, edited, and managed by Ellie Main. Follow us at Recovery Mode Podcast on Instagram and check out our website for other episodes, community pages, and information on how you can support this podcast and recovery resources through donation at recoverymodepodcast.com.